Welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. Welcome to Conversation with Environmental Disruptors. Today we are chatting with Caitlin Urso, Cannabis Environmental Consultant in Colorado's Small Business Assistance Program. As a rare treat for us, we're actually in Denver for the Sustainable Cannabis Symposium, so we're all recording this all together in one room. Caitlin, it is so great to meet you. Thank you for taking the time to host us. I think it's safe for me to say that the um, sustainable cannabis field is super new to me, so I'm excited to have the opportunity to talk to a real-life cannabis sustainability expert. To kick us off, I'd love to learn more about what you do. What does a typical day look like for you? Typically, how my job works is half of my time is spent responding to requests for assistance, so people just calling me up and asking for helps from anything from how do I get a permit to I just started a new business, um, can you come do a site visit and help me understand my environmental impacts, assess you know what compliance and permitting needs I have, um, and then also make recommendations on um, environmental you know reductions as well, so business practices that can help reduce their uh, footprint. Then the other half of um, my time is spent um, working on proactive environmental projects for industries of focus, and so typically we rotate our industry of focus on an annual basis, but it also kind of depends on the needs of that industry. Um, So for instance, uh, last year we worked with the craft brewing industry in Colorado for all of 2017 to help um, them focus on reducing their environmental impacts for energy, air, water, and waste. You know, that brings us to this year of focusing on the cannabis industry and Mm -hmm. for both, um, you know, breweries and for the cannabis industry from, you know, my program's perspective of why we chose them. Um, Both were kind of typical, um, you know, more uh, what we would call area sources Mm -hmm. in that on an individual basis, these smaller businesses weren't triggering our environmental compliance thresholds. So like for instance, they're not triggering our air um, permitting thresholds or they don't have to get, you know, stormwater permit or, you know, they're just smaller um, impacts that don't meet our thresholds, but when you have so many of them co-located in an area, it kind of gives an accumulative effect, you know, especially with my program being focused on small businesses, we really try to step in and say, hey, even though you don't trigger our compliance thresholds for having to meet regulations and make reductions, there's many things you can do on a voluntary basis to reduce your kind of cumulative impacts as an industry. And so my program is kind of focused on, you know, those sort of like the left behind smaller businesses and how do we get voluntary reductions from them. So it just kind of has been a unique fit that I have fallen into becoming an environmental um, consultant for the cannabis industry. Caitlin has been in her role for five years, and as she mentioned, she's helped many industries tackle sustainability in the past craft brewing and now cannabis. Energy and water consumption is especially relevant to indoor cultivation, which is highly prevalent in Colorado. Here in Colorado, our regulatory structure forced a lot of um, cannabis cultivation, especially marijuana, indoors. Therefore, the energy load from Um, you know, growing indoors. You've got the lights, you've got the HVAC systems. um, Those are the highest energy loads there. Um, Also, there's a lot of automation equipment um, in, you know, building management system for, you know, maintaining thresholds for temperature and humidity. Um, There's a lot of pumps for um, automated irrigation and drip systems and things like that. Um, 
It uses, um, when grown indoors, um, you know, it uses municipal water for crops. So water that has been um, treated to drinking water standards that's being used for kind of an agricultural purpose. And, you know, we put a lot of energy and time into the treatment of our, our, our public drinking water system. And so, you know, having that additional load that's really just going to, to water crops is an impact as well. Mm-hmm. Um, then the water coming off of the plants, um, you know, they add a lot of nutrients to the water as they, you know, to feed the plants as they grow indoors. Um, and so the effluent, the wastewater effluent can have a high nutrient load coming out. And so, um, again, our municipal system is kind of cleaning up after industry by having to remove those nutrients. Certain cannabis products like oils, waxes, vape cartridges, and edibles have shocking impacts. Extracting the THC, which is the main active ingredient of cannabis, to create these products uses industrial chemical solvents that contribute to air pollution. Air pollution is even a concern as the plant grows. Cannabis plants produce terpenes, a chemical considered a VOC, or volatile organic compound that poses threats to human and environmental health in large quantities. So as the plants grow, they naturally emit terpenes, which is what people typically associate with the strong, you know, offensive odor of marijuana. Um, That odor is, you know, it's news to industry that that odor isn't just a nuisance, it's actually VOCs. Those terpenes are Mm. VOCs. Um, And so those VOC emissions, when released into the atmosphere, um, they mix with nitrogen oxide emissions, which are combustion emissions, cars, power plants, those types of things, and the presence of sunlight, which in Colorado, we have like 300 days of sunlight um, to form ground level ozone. Regulation will play a big role in addressing environmental challenges in this industry. In Colorado, there is an approved pesticides list and required pesticide residual monitoring, though there is still uncertainty as some new information and issues emerge. In other contexts, regulations are actually preventing sustainability in this industry. There's a lot of lot of packaging waste associated with mm-hmm. the industry because of the um, kind of safe packaging requirements that have the best of intentions on the public health side, but then kind of having this inadvertent environmental impact. So, um, you know, to keep it safe from children and, you know, they, I think there's some standards about like it can't be see-through so you can't see what the product is inside of it. Um, there's some some transport regulations that the industry tries to meet. So, for instance, if you were a customer and you were going to go buy, let's say, a single joint from a dispensary, you go in, um, you purchase the joint. They don't just hand you, you know, a, a marijuana joint and you walk out the door and you're on your way. They package it in a plastic tube. Well, then that plastic tube needs to be put into a child-proof bag, and that bag has to be like black plastic so you can't see through it. Well, then, um, in order for the customer to be able to transport it home and prove that that's not an open container, like open consumption in their vehicle, they then put it in a paper bag and staple it shut so that, you know, if you got pulled over on the way home, you can show it's a sealed product, it's stapled shut in this plastic bag. So by the time you get home as an end consumer to consume this product, you've got a plastic tube that's non-recyclable you've got another child-proof bag that's non-recyclable, and then you also have this paper bag on the outside that may or may not be recyclable depending on you know what kind of bag it is, and so you've just got all this packaging waste for maybe what's you know a tiny little bit of plant material and some paper. There's also a lot of plant waste um, from marijuana, as you can imagine. 
Um, and so that a lot of that is being either composted or landfilled at the moment. The problem with that is, is for to meet DEA requirements um, for kind of avoiding diversion, um, you know, from people ending up in the wrong hands, they have to mix that plant waste with 50% non-marijuana waste so that's no longer usable and recognizable. So when you're composting, it kind of, it almost kind of takes away from a little bit of the environmentalism of composting when you have to double the amount of material you're composting every time you go to compost or when you go to put in the landfill, you have to double the amount of material you put in the landfill before it can go in the landfill. Gathering data on these environmental impacts is a crucial next step for the cannabis industry. Caitlin's sustainability strategy for cannabis tackles this, even barring lessons learned from her time in consulting in craft brewing. As far as being able to, you mentioned getting, you know, some statistics or, you know, aggregated um, data on the impacts, um, there's not a lot out there right now on, on that and quantifying industry impacts. And it's kind of really hard to go about it, too, because um, like energy, for instance, um, a lot of these indoor grows are in warehouse districts where you've got multiple businesses on the same meter. And so it's kind of it's hard for them to even say how much energy do I use because I don't have my same or my own unique meter. Same thing with water. There's also not a lot of reporting infrastructure for the industry yet, and so that's another project that CDPHE is working on, and me in particular, is trying to help industry and work with them collaboratively to sort of build up a, a robust reporting tool. So um, picture an online website where a, any cultivation could go sign up for um, you know, a profile, and then they could report their monthly energy bill, their water bill, um, how much solvents they use, how much nutrients they use to really characterize their own individual environmental impacts. Then they can see trends over time. We can give them tools to um, calculate return on investments. So, you know, if they installed LED lights that reduce their energy by consumption by X amount, we expect it to be paid off in Y number of years. Um, so we're trying to help build them up those tools. And then this tool that we're trying to build too will also be able to anonymously compare metrics to other businesses. So you'll have one page where you've got just your environmental metrics and how it changes over time, and then a second page where basically you just turn into an anonymous dot on a scatter plot for every metric. So you can see mm -hmm. energy production on the y-axis and then along the x-axis cannabis production, and everyone that's reported is just an individual dot. So you can say, I know I'm this dot, how do I compare you know, energy usage to peers of similar production size? How does my you know, um, usage compared to my peers to help really drive that competitive environmental change. Mm -hmm. um, then we can also provide people with metrics of, you know, are you in the top 25%? Are you in the bottom 25%? Mm -hmm. So we are um, working very hard to hopefully um, get that project up off the ground. That project was actually modeled after the National Brewers Association has a mm -hmm. benchmarking tool that's very similar for mm -hmm. um, brewers across uh, across the country, where they can report their brewing metrics and anonymously prepare, you know, compare it to their peers. So mm -hmm. just sort of be competitive on their own right. accord and be like, okay, you know, and and really decide how do I want to focus my dollars that I'm going to invest in becoming more sustainable. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm if I look at how I compare to industry folks across the industry and if I'm already you know in the top 25% for energy maybe I should focus on a water project if I see you know I'm bottom 25 for water usage you know instead of installing LED lights first right. I should maybe think about an irrigation drip system um, 
So just kind of help people focus on what's most important to them. Wow, that's really cool, especially the lessons learned from the, the craft brewing industry. I'm curious, with the benchmarking tool, um, could you talk about why um, it's anonymous? I can see um, some could argue that maybe it would drive even more competition if people knew exactly who was performing low and who was performing high. Yeah, um, so the decision to make it anonymous data sharing um, was really a lesson learned that we, we learned from the Brewers Association in that um, people are very, um, you know, they're very tight-knit about their data. Um, about their profit margins, about their business process in right. both craft brewing and, um, you know, I'd say marijuana cultivation as well, because what really in those industries, what's really driving a customer to one company versus another um, is just sort of subtle, small differences. Like the brewing mm -hmm. process is overall the same for everyone. It's just, you know, what makes a good brewery is just these small, little tight differences. What makes a good, you know, good marijuana grower versus, you know, poor marijuana is just, you know, the attention to details and these slight operational changes. And so um, in both industry, they, they really hold those tiny differences um, as that's their bread and butter. That's their secret sauce. And right. so um, through revealing your metrics, there's a potential to kind of reveal some proprietary methodology. Um, and so, uh, and folks too never want to be, um, you know, it's one thing to be celebrated as, as environmentally friendly. It's another thing to find out, gosh, I'm bottom 25%. That's really not good for my brand. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, making it anonymous doesn't put that stress of the business on having to decide before they share their metrics, um, you know, if they want to or not, because really they share their metrics and then they find out where they stand. The tool is, is meant to be positive and uplifting and that it should be a motivation for those businesses to say, okay, what can I do to improve? There's a lot more heightened sensitivity from the marijuana industry with sharing their data versus the craft brewing industry. Mostly I think my impression is is that it's kind of surrounded around still the legality of the gray area of it like you know it's federally illegal but legal at the state level and you know people are just a lot more apprehensive about sharing so much about their system and things like that because mm -hmm. of those you know the gray area on legality um, and and so we just want to make sure that you know data security is a little bit more heightened for marijuana industry versus craft brewing for those reasons um, because industry doesn't want to you know open up the doors to government to come in to do a study to make quantifiable assertions about their industry to then go and create regulations to regulate them um, and so that's kind of been this hurdle that we've had to overcome when you take the time to do that courtship with industry and really build up a trusting relationship with them mm -hmm. and show them that you're an asset and that you want to work with them. Um, you catch more, you know, flies with honey kind of thing. Like mm -hmm. people are willing to go not only to come into compliance, but ask for resource on how to go above and beyond. And so we're really finding that, um, you know, the typical approach of always going down the regulatory route mm -hmm. of kind of the first response knee-jerk reaction to a new environmental impact, we're finding that's not necessarily the best way that we can actually get more reductions from industry if we just sort of educate them and show them what they can do on their own mm -hmm. instead of just jumping straight toward the, the regulatory route and fighting with them every step of the mm -hmm. way. 
Needless to say, your work shows that government assistance is supporting the sustainability in business. From your experience in craft brewing and now cannabis, what other factors are driving sustainability in these sectors? Um, again, I think that it's just uh, the culture of the industries right. and, um, you know, really just wanting to become more sustainable. And I think, you know, just the time that we are in history where we've got, you know, the most people we ever have on the planet and the least resources we've ever had on the planet at the same time. And so... Um, I think that it's coming to the forefront of recognition of people's minds that, you know, maybe the things that we, the way we did things in like 50s and 60s maybe aren't sustainable into the future. And so how do we, you know, modify um, the way that we do things to make sure that we can continue to, you know, sustain ourselves on this planet, Um, you know. Uh, the craft brewing industry and both cannabis industry are very aware that they're resource intensive industries um, and they want to be able to continue to do business um, into the future and so they're always looking at ways to kind of improve um, you know like the brewing industry is very aware of water scarcity and and that it's going to kind of get worse in the future and so you know everything from how they do um, the farming of hops and the amount of water that goes into that to how they package their beer I mean it all kind of impacts their businesses longevity into the future um, and if they can't sort of meet these requirements um well they're not even requirements but kind of self-mandated initiatives Mm -hmm. they realize that you know maybe we won't be as successful in the future unless we start doing these things now um again with that kind of you know sort of awareness i think there's a lot more consumers too that are like i said before putting buying power behind their dollar and kind of looking at well you know there's there's many craft brews out there that i could choose from and there's many delicious beers i could (laughs) choose from but when it comes down to um you know me spending seven eight nine dollars uh for a glass of beer at a tap house um, you know, I'm going to put my dollars behind somebody that's really thinking about how they're they're making that um, product and are they being efficient and are they doing things to give back to their community mm-hmm. um, and engage with their community? Are they taking on corporate social responsibility projects that kind of take them above and beyond? And also um, the the profit margins are becoming tight um, in especially in cannabis in Colorado they're kind of calling it a race to the bottom right now wholesale pro- uh, prices are just you know dropping intensely because competition is so high and so how do you maintain a good product but still be able to compete in that market um, you've got to you've got to take on sustainability you've got to take on resource efficiency but yeah so I think that there's just a lot of a lot of things that kind of create this sort of this perfect storm for it's it's time to be sustainable it's time to be environmentally friendly and there there's dollar values aside associated with it you know we we are very careful about not revealing any you know confidential business information right. about proprietary processes but we always kind of tell people you know when it comes to environmental processes we all share this planet and we're all sharing these resources and we all go outside and breathe the same air so really we should all be on the same page with environmental aspects and we tell industry, you can compete on products, you can p- compete on margins, you can compete in a number of different ways. But what should bring you together is environmental outreach and education and, and improvements. Um, and the businesses we've worked with have kind of really taken that to heart and said, okay, yeah, we will figure out a way that when it comes to environmental, we're going to collaboratively work together. I think that 
you know, we all recognize that there's value in that and let's share it. Um, mm-hmm. Especially small businesses versus large businesses. It's a little bit more achievable when we're talking in the realm of small businesses. Um, they're a little bit more open to lifting each other up and sharing, you know, secrets <laughs> that aren't actually secrets. I mean, mm-hmm. they're tied to profit margins, but again, we're all should be working together on environmental impacts. Yes, absolutely. Wow. <laughs> well, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for talking to yeah. us for so long. Um, it's been, it's, I think it's especially valuable to talk to you right before the cannabis conference tomorrow or the symposium tomorrow. Um, so yes, um, yeah. I feel like I, I'm pretty new to the industry. I didn't know a lot of things that we've talked about today. Yeah, so you guys will learn a lot. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you, so please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at eli.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.